we're back. Welcome once again to another episode of Mike, Mike, and Oscar. November 25th, 2019. Couple days until Turkey Day. We've got a big turkey week lined up for you. This is going to be kind of the kickoff. Yes, it is Monday. No, it is not MMO Weekly. If you've been listening to us, we told you we have kind of a, a special guest for a special review. We're bringing you a beautiful day in the neighborhood, mm-hmm. which is the Tom Hanks, Mr. Rogers, Matthew Reese, Mariel Heller, Have I Named Enough People movie. That's the Oscar Sprint profile you're getting from us today. We will be bringing in a special guest later on. But for the purposes of kicking off this episode, I am your co-host, Mike One. This is co-host, Also Mike. Also Mike, we're anxious to get into it. A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood is directed by Marielle Heller of Can You Ever Forgive Me? This is the second year in a row she's done 1990s New York. Uh, in an Oscar season, Mike. Yes, that's a good point. He's got her lane right now. <laughs> that's very true. The film is written by Maleficent 2 screenwriters Micah Fitzerman Blue and Noah Harpster. The film stars, of course, Tom Hanks, the Americans, Matthew Reese, American Beauties, Chris Cooper, Susan Kelechi Watson, and an extraordinary performance by her. Mm. Marianne Plunkett as Mrs. Rogers. I loved her, too. And Bill uh, Eisner was played by Enrico Colantoni, a name what? I What a name. I did not realize that. That was that man's name. And he's one of those guys that's like, oh, it's him from that thing it's who popped him. up he's everywhere. He's in a lot of things. Yeah. He's Call Antoni. <laughs> Love the man. This movie was based on Tom Junod's article in Esquire magazine from 1998 that was titled, Can You Say Hero? A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood was greenlit in January of 2018, which no doubt was encouraged by the upcoming box office of the documentary, Won't You Be My Neighbor? We talked about that exclusively and at length last year mm-hmm. when it went on to make $22.8 million, which for a documentary is ridiculously high theater numbers and got snubbed so hard it's at the very Oscars. heartbreaking angry a lot of i guess it's fitting that mr rogers brought forth those kinds of emotions that we had to process ourselves with the academy snubbing that documentary we last year because right. of that documentary that documentary taught us the lesson not to be so angry or to deal right. with our feelings properly i think and i broke laptops so it didn't work quite didn't, frankly oh, it yeah didn't work no. for- <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's right. You're like your M button. Yeah, M-key my M key for shit the bed. So Mr. I had to buy Rogers. a new laptop. Right. No, our name of the podcast, Mike McNosk, <laughs> is probably the reason for that. Anyway, the filming of A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood began in Pittsburgh of September of 2018. They used the actual Fred Rogers studio at WQED TV where they shot Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, that television series on PBS. Yeah, they used the actual cameras that hmm. they shot the actual Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood Love with. That. The film actually qualified for a bunch of tax credits, Mike, which brings down the budget from $45 million down to $25 million, which is fascinating to me because this movie is going to make decent box office in its opening weekend, $16, 17000000 million, something like that, and it's going to you know play throughout the Thanksgiving Day holiday. It should wind up as, as a money winner here. Yeah, and, and good for them, too. I mean, I guess that kind of goes in line. If you're going to make a movie about the, the PBS show, which was publicly funded and nationally broadcast. That kind of makes sense. You should be in line for a tax credit, I would think. Uh, The film also had its world premiere at TIFF this year, the Toronto International Film Festival, on September 7th. Its release date has jumped around. It was initially meant to be released in mid-October, around the 18th. Then it got pushed to this past weekend, November 22nd. Buzz about the film, Mike, has been up and down Mm. all over the place. It's one of the stranger lead-ins to uh, an Oscar contender candidacy that Mm. I've seen in a while. Look at me and my alliteration. <laughs> the critical reception, though, since those official numbers came out, have been great. 
It's currently at 96% on Rotten Tomatoes as of this morning. 205 reviews for those. The Metascore sits at an 80. As for the audiences, they give it a 93% on Rotten Tomatoes and a 7.2 on IMDb. It's a little surprising that the audience score for IMDb anyway would be so much lower in contrast to what like the audience score, not only the audience score on Rotten Tomatoes, but the critics universally love this movie. And the audiences... You would think it'd be the other way around. Wouldn't the audiences who all beloved Mr. Rogers and hold him in such high regard, wouldn't they all be flipping out about this? I mean, they're giving it a positive mark. Sure, yeah. It's not to say that they're failing it by any means, but yeah. I don't know. I'm t- it's a hard movie to hate, I would Certainly, say. Certainly, yes. In many ways, I know you're going to be a little more mixed than I am. I'm, yeah. I'm, a, I'm a more of a fan, but uh, I'm curious. We have no idea what Kate's going to yeah, say. Yeah, no. Uh, I can't wait. I mean, there's a part of me that wants her to come in and just destroy this movie (laughs) and just absolutely level it and hate it. But that would be fascinating. Yeah, yeah, we'd have the exclusive there. I like that. Let's talk about the plot premise for this. Based on the true story of a real life friendship between Fred Rogers and journalist Tom Junod. Uh, And obviously, again, this did start as a piece in Esquire back in the late 90s. And I guess it was pretty much that. They were doing a Heroes issue, much like you see in this film. This is the whole backdrop for Tom Junod was given the profile of Mr. Rogers for this Heroes issue, specifically because he was kind of a, a journalist nobody wanted to talk to. Yeah, it's an incredible article. Uh, I it encourage is, yeah. you all to read it. Yeah. Just uh, search "Can you say dot 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 hero?" Just Google that, and you will find the article. Esquire has it out now. A lot of the stuff from the movies in the article. Going to talk about it with Kate coming up. But we wanted to address an Oscar lens off the top. You know, Kate is going to bring her es- expertise to this review. You know, our kind of lane. Mm-hmm. In a very humble way, <laughs> is this Oscar nonsense? But we love it, so we wanted to do the Oscar lens uh, first and foremost uh, before we bring Kate on today. Scott Feinberg, Clayton Davis, we're going to reference them once again, Mike. So Scott Feinberg, of course, of Feinberg Forecast from the Hollywood Reporter, uh, a buddy of ours and, and somebody that is all about the Oscars industry and punditry and has been for years, usually pretty dead on with his forecast articles here. He has currently the picture sitting at 14th and 15th, respectively, for both Feinberg yeah. and for Mr. Clayton Davis there of award circuit. Uh, director is at 20th and 13th, a bit of a discrepancy there for where Mariel Heller sits on, on either list, kind of right outside the top 10 and then a little further back on Feinberg's list at 20th there. Matthew Reese is also in the teens for Best Actor, which is kind of a surprise to me personally. I didn't expect to get the quality of performance that we got from Matthew Reese in this, but that's... You have to watch The Americans. Yeah, yeah apparently I do. I haven't I haven't seen that. I at least haven't stuck with it. I or as it, my like, mother the... would say, like the 17th iteration of Pride and Prejudice. I think he's one of those. <laughs> She's like, I know him. Uh, many of the production values and those types of accoutrements, those are listed in the top 20s and 40s of both uh, Feinberg's forecasts and awards circuit. The highest production value ranked here. Clayton has makeup and hairstyling sitting at 13th. So this movie's Oscar chances seem to lie with, number one, Tom Hanks. Clayton has him at fourth, Scott at sixth, and then adapted screenplay, which they have at eighth and ninth, respectively, Mike. I could see both of these nominations happening based on reading the article. And, it's and of course, Tom Hanks, especially with the, the narrative of late that he's been snubbed at the Oscars. Well, Tom Hanks, again, we kind of mentioned it in passing at the start of this, but it's important to highlight, though he is playing Mr. Rogers in a movie titled A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, mm-hmm. and he is in the top five of some rankings, it's not lead actor. Right? I mean, he's in the supporting category of this. Mr. Rogers is not the, the main character. So if you're going to get truncated performance from a quality of actor like Tom Hanks, mm-hmm. it's almost a cheat code. 
Right? Like, he only has to do so much to get recognized and nominated, and because he has been snubbed lately, like you just said, maybe that's going to weigh heavy on the minds of these people who already love Tom Hanks playing a beloved Mr. Rogers. There's a lot going for this that I can see it making uh, the case for Academy Sunday. And yet, there's a lot of cheat codes in the category. You have a lot of star yes, there power are. in the category. It's a weird year. Brad Pitt to Joe Pesci to Al Pacino, et cetera, et cetera, Mike. We could have a, a list of a- a- A-listers yeah. in this particular category this year. A lot of people think it is relatively sewn up. I will say I do think Tom Hanks is vulnerable to getting boosted out of this. He's been sitting in this seat before. What does Mr. Rogers have to do to be nominated? (laughs) Think about it. I mean, I wonder if you know, everybody just thinks Fred Rogers is such a hero that sometimes it, it overshadows the actual performance or it overshadows the, the the documentary from last year. That might have something to do with it. We're going to talk to our guest about it. I do think Tom Hanks is in that that on the edge of a lot of people's ballots. Right? I would agree. I would and agree. In terms of adapted screenplay, just read the article. See the degree of difficulty here. See how sprawling that article was and, and see what they did to tie all those truths into this. I, I'm really impressed with the screenplay. I'm sure we'll get more into it. I kind of wish, you know, production design doesn't really qualify what I like most about this. Screenplay doesn't really qualify. I kind of wish there was like a best overall motif or theme <laughs> category because this is a very unique presentation <laughs> that kind of all streamlines and fits together. Uh, I, I Again, you like you said, I'm up and down on the majority of this movie but there's certain, and I'm sure we'll get into it, but there's certain like transitional scenes that fit Mr. Rogers and all the, the it's not quite production design, but it's not quite screenplay. I don't know what it is. You're starting to become a, a true critic here. <laughs> best measles scene, best motif. Just keep working in Latin and French as Most much as I can. Outstanding <laughs> achievement in <laughs> greatest <cinema>. frog leg. <laughs> All right. It's time to bring in our guest here, and we're really proud to do this yes. because Mike and I often joke about how, you know, our show can devolve into armchair psychology. <laughs> we get hung up on the logic of certain stories, and we go off on the academy and that voting body there. There are pros and cons to this. Yes. <laughs> to balance some of the cons, we needed this guest today as much as we wanted her on this show, Mike. Yes, Kate is a psychologist who runs the Ignorance Was Bliss podcast. She's had a career as a forensic psychologist, and as a crisis clinician, she brings that wealth of experience, knowledge, and incredible amount of both empathy and expertise to her wonderful show that tries to figure out how we become who we are. With the help of movies, Mike, we tend to wonder about this question how we become who we are. We also tend to avoid it. (laughs) We also tend to avoid it, but Kate from Ignorance Was Bliss is actually figuring it out. And and in our opinion, she's succeeding. Uh, Her interview show will often focus on true crime subjects. She also interviews some of the most courageous guests I've ever heard, giving their testimonials, surviving abuse. Uh, Mike, it's a show that I can't recommend highly enough to our fans. Uh, She also talks to a lot of podcasters and friends of ours. Like recently on episode 181, she talked to Invasion of the Remake. And she had a whole discussion about horror movies and the horror movies she grew up with loving. She didn't think she would have a lot of fire for that, but then she she has all these tremendous takes. So we may have to bring her back just to talk about horror films so we know how much we love those. Hopefully it makes our job easier. You can stop hearing our voices so much and you can get someone with some perspective for us, some wonderful stories to tell. That's And she wanted to do this movie with us, and we, we're very excited to have her on. We're very proud that she, and happy she agreed to do this with us. Ignorance Was Bliss is a great show. We highly recommend it, obviously, and we're proud to welcome Kate to MMO. Thanks for joining us today, Kate. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you guys? Great, great. Very uh, well. 
So, Kate, you picked this movie. We gave you a few options. And, and also on your show, you mentioned that you had a movie lined up for November. This movie comes out in November. I'm wondering if that is the same movie that you always wanted to see this. What were your expectations going in? I mean, yeah, I never go to the movies. <laughs> so I'm <laughs> like, I just, I, so I am hard of hearing. Okay. And it is really difficult for me to go and watch a film in the theater because I always worry, like, if a movie is narrated or they're not, fa- like, I read lips. And so if they're not facing the screen, I have a hard time following it. And so it's just usually easier for me to stay home. And so, yeah, I wanted to go see this one because M- Mr. Rogers is just, like, to me, sort of the antithesis of the concept of to- toxic masculinity. Like, this is what hmm. I want my sons to be when they grow yes. up. Yes. And now you have an attachment to Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood growing up or to last year's documentary? Oh, growing up. No, I, I am old enough that I grew, <laughs> grew up watching. Yeah. Well, so do we. I yeah, mean, absolutely. I mean, he was part of our everyday lives, right? That's kind of mm-hmm. PBS was what you watched when you were a kid and was that and then Barney. And then, you know, I think Magic School Bus was a oh, little no. past our time. No, I'm, I'm too old for Barney. Oh, you're too <laughs> I mean... I'm my, grateful for that. Mike, Mike wasn't a Barney kid either, I don't think. Well, my brothers. I have yeah. four younger brothers. They turned into Barney kids, and I'm terrified of the upcoming mo- Barney movie coming out. But I, I kind of turned into one of those kids that the documentary like lamented. Like The kids who always watch the G.I. Joe shows and whatnot. Like I, I had a phase with Mr. Rogers for a time, maybe a hot minute there, and then I went away for it. Wi- I wish I stuck with him. Because now as an adult, watching last year's documentary and, and watching this movie now, I'm, I'm smitten with the guy. Yeah, it's one of those you don't know what you had when you had it type things. Yeah, I, I understand it. It's, it's, you know, he's, he's, he's beloved and he's regaled for a reason. But I guess so. We'll get into talking about the production values now. Uh, I just about the look of this, I guess we could start, Mike, with you. Just, you know, the biggest thing about this movie, like I kind of alluded to already, it's it's motif, it's presentation. This is a Mr. Rogers episode for all intents and purposes. It's about believable eyebrows, in my opinion. <laughs> because Tom Hanks' face, we all know Tom Hanks' face, and they actually executed that costume really well, of course, but it's still Tom Hanks, but he also has Fred's brows. And if they were ridiculous, it would have told me, totally taken me out of the movie. I, Kate, I have an issue with you know wigs looking fake in films. It just uh, it immediately takes me out of the uh, you know reality of a film. Here, I thought they 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 nailed it, and I liked the costumes and uh, the sets. What did you think about? the production value of this in, t- in terms of honoring, you know, your love for the show. I, for me, it was actually Tom Hanks's mouth <laughs> that, that, that I got stuck on because I read lips. And so, you know, I'm watching very carefully there and he has a very distinctive way of speaking mm-hmm. and, and forming words so that even though I felt like he tapped into a lot of the character Mm-hmm. He still spoke like Tom Hanks. And so there was sort of this low-grade cognitive dissonance for me the whole time. Like, I just don't, I can't quite understand what's happening here, you know. Interesting. Inter- I, that's really a, a fascinating take, too. I guess if you're used to reading lips, that's kind of something you would you would focus on. And that's not nothing I would ever thought of before. What about the uh, the overall presentation, Kate? I mean, you said you have this affinity to Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. You saw that you watched the program a lot growing up. Did, did you appreciate the kind of the in-between, the dissolving scenes, the going from one scene to the next, how it was laid out like New York City, but as if it was in Mr. Rogers or King Friday's kingdom there? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Like, I found that a little bit corny. Um, oh, okay. Honestly, like, I didn't feel like it was necessary. In what way? Go ahead. I, I want to hear more about that. 
I got confused, you know, when it first started happening, like, did, you know, I immediately got fixated on, like, did King's Friday's kingdom actually contain the city? And did this, was this actually, you know, no, this wasn't what was going on. And so I think I missed moments of plot here and there because I was so fixated on, like, wait, were there airplanes in King's Friday's kingdom? <laughs> I got stuck. And, you know, and, and to me, that shouldn't happen. That if you're in a movie, you should be able to be so absorbed in the plot and scenery and whatever that you sh- it should it should carry you along. Yeah, it was definitely a cutesy narrative device. And I'm and I'm with you, Kate. Actually, I mean, one of the biggest problems I had with this movie, we'll talk about it in spoilers, but it has to do with those types of scenes because they were the providing the backdrop throughout the whole movie until they just decided to abandon it wholly and do something else with it, which kind of left me confused too. So I'm glad to hear uh, this. You're the first kind of criticism of that presentation that I've seen, so That's, I'm glad to hear that. This is great. Now you say you're you're not necessarily a hardcore movie fan, but you're a you, you really cling to the fandom of the original neighborhood here. Mike always makes fun of me for being like a Game of Thrones fan, and if the, the show doesn't get a, a simple detail right, or, <laughs> he gets mad at me because right, I get mad. And here you are, well, having I grown just, up on the to show. Me, it's like one or the other. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. If you're going to use some sort of scenery device as a way of actually propelling mm-hmm. the neighborhood, whatever, like, I mean, I, okay... Another way of wording it. They could have just used King Friday's Kingdom as a way to zoom in and zoom out. Mm-hmm. Mm. Like it, set like in the actual Mr. show, Rogers yeah. World. Yeah, but then leave the airplane part out, that kind of thing. You know, like it just, it felt unnecessary. So I don't know if I'm so much a purist as I got, it conf- It just, it confused me. Understandable. I, 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 I'm picking up what you're saying here. And again, I think it plays into, I have a complaint later that I'm interested to hear what your reaction to is it, knowing that you feel this way that you do right now. So that's exciting for me personally, because I'm a selfish person. <laughs> that's cool. Okay. Mike, what about the way this movie was shot? Marilyn Heller, we've seen her shoot like you said already we've seen her shoot new york city previously in like a year ago i think there's a lot of deceivingly loaded shots in, in this film like we're given you know these slow moving oneers right mm-hmm. where it's supposed to like resemble mr rogers neighborhood where they take where he t- took his time and he took pride in taking his time and giving kids si- silent meditation and, and giving them more quiet right mm-hmm. but then these shots that are quiet and slow moving you see all this background stuff like it'll go past monitors and crew people and those you know luscious settings and those models and and then it finally you know finishes that pan on his face and those eyebrows again <laughs> what i noticed right and i i'm really uh, impressed by the cinematography more than i thought i was especially upon rewatch when I, I got to see it again what about you kate did anything the way this movie was shot stick out to you especially it, it was a little bit grainy oh okay at mm. times but that may have been i mean i saw it in an amc theater and so it it, it should have been true like big scenes of it were perfectly clear so it didn't seem like it was the theater mm-hmm you know, create or where we were sitting or whatever, creating a, a graininess. But again, that took me out for a little bit because I couldn't decide if it was it was deliberate or not. And I think it was deliberate. Yeah, they used the old cameras to record all the 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 neighbor the neighborhood scenes and kind of the you know the narrative device there. So maybe that was it. 
Yeah, they used actually Mr. Rogers on set cameras to shoot the stuff on Mr. Rogers' uh, neighbors. Yeah, that's a, I didn't even think of that. Maybe the translation there could absolutely be uh, responsible for that. That's that's fat. Yeah, again, Kate, you you should do this for a living. I know you say you're not a movie person, but you're already picking on stuff up on stuff I didn't even think of. Oh, that's cute. I, right. I'm really impressed. <laughs> Uh, I, I got to say, too, uh, as just as far as the way that she shot, I did have some issues with some, uh, you know, she does the slow drawback close-up. Close-ups are a big part of this movie, right? Like, there's tight close-ups during some conversations, which they're emotional conversations. They're like the emotional crux of the movie. It makes a lot of sense. She does some other close-ups and some other pan shots that just kind of confused me. And I don't I don't want to put it at the feet of Mariel Heller. I don't know if it was the DP's job, but there was some camera movement or some at least some drawbacks and some pullback shots mm-hmm. that kind of were offsetting to me. It wasn't a big deal. It didn't completely remove me from the movie. I just wasn't a fan of it. It was showy. Yeah. Uh, was, was maybe showy. overly so, yeah. I, I, it worked on me to an extent because okay. sometimes I'm, I'm reading into it. I think uh, we'll get into more of that and spoilers uh, perhaps. But, Kate, you already mentioned loving Tom Hanks and his performance here. Are we taking him for granted overall, guys? Or do we just assume he's great and everything? Because we opened up this episode with a kind of an Oscar lens. Uh, how terrific is he here? And, and where do you rank him in terms of Tom Hanksness uh, in this in this role, Kate? I mean, I, I I am a fan of both Tom Hanks and Mr. Rogers, and so I I'm good. Like <laughs> I didn't feel like he dishonored the image or the memory of of Fred Rogers, mm-hmm. so. I can't complain there. Yeah, I I, I I do. I think he's great in everything. I do. I would listen to him narrate a bowl of Cheerios, like <laughs> <laughs> which would also probably get him nominated for an Oscar, no doubt. As well as <laughs> I, mean. I was surprised. I thought I would have a harder time watching him envelop the personality, right? Because mm. Tom Hanks is so distinct. Fred Rogers is so distinct. And yet that kind of dissolved after a few scenes. I was like, holy shit, this guy is actually just Mr. Rogers now. So he got a lot of the mimicry right. My son had a hard time. Did he? Oh, my, really? My son, you know, he's 15. And so he's both the inevitable idiocy of a teenager, but also a pretty, he's a pretty intuitive and introspective kid. So, you know, a good kid to drag along to the movie. And I, I was interested to see, first of all, would he be bored? with the movie and secondly how would he roll and he was like i he, he immediately one of his first thoughts and at the end i'll tell you what his first word to me was after okay but but one of his comments about tom hanks is he's like i'm so used to thinking of him in roles like uh a league of their own where he's like verbose and outspoken and very right, and yeah, shouting right or, you know you know or even castaway mm-hmm. where when he does speak he's very animated and very you know, like he goes up into this higher, higher register. Sure. You know? And so he was like, I, I wasn't used to seeing Tom Hanks so chill. I wonder how much Xanax they gave him. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, that's one of the the perks and why I think he did do well to, to kind of totally embody this character. I think that's, again, you have a movie criticism family. I hate to tell you, Kate, because even, I mean, it's maybe it's genetic and it's passed down to your son, but you're picking up on some very, very acute details that are very, very fun and fun topics of conversation. Uh, what about Matthew Reese? We talked about how Tom Hanks is kind of the supporting in this in this role, uh, even though it is Mr. Rogers in a Mr. Rogers movie. This movie really revolves around Matthew Reese's character. He's the lead. Kate, did you like what he put forward here as far as his performance? Less. Okay. So... I, I feel like they both overplayed some of his internal conflict and underplayed it. 
that they made him a little bit too much of a hothead at some times, and then at other times he 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 rolled with things or accepted things. Hmm. So you don't think the his reaction fit what he was going through as a character? Is what you're saying? Well, yeah, just that I, maybe it was the script more than him. Like I don't know, but but I felt like okay, it felt to me like he played each scene. Not like he played the character. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, he has some bona fide Oscar reel scenes in this movie where Tom Hanks is more subtle. It's more balanced, like you're saying. Like the ensemble's fairly even keeled. I mean, this happens often, especially we we see it a lot in these Oscar grabby films or these films that come out at this time of year where you expect to have the big, big emotional outbursts. Sure. And I, I do think that's part of his character, to be fair. But I, I would agree with you. Like the the volume of it w- was a little surprising, especially in the beginning of the movie with the premise. And then uh, it, it, he he tries to keep it together for most of the middle of the movie. And then again, he, there's kind of an outburst there towards the end, which you're surprised at. Yeah. Any time a character has to go so emotional too, it's going to be polarizing, right? I, mean, I think that's just the reality. We're always, as humans, just going to be conditioned as... Leo, right? I mean, well, well, of yeah. course, well, we're talking about humans and gods here. Well, no, but it, like, as just as humans, we're going to be like, well, that's not the proper reaction because we're just all judgmental dicks anyway, so... It, 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 I well, think... but I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a judgmental dick with a degree. Right, right, right. so <laughs> you're allowed to be, yeah. And, you know, and I didn't buy into it. Like, it, it, it wasn't even the the hair trigger responses to some of the scenes that he was in. It was the fact that some of the scenes he was in, he would just lose his shit. And then other scenes, he just rolled with it in ways that were not consistent. Like, I I, I guess maybe at least part of it was that they didn't set him up as enough of a dick in the early scenes. And then suddenly he is. And then later he's not. And I'm just like, wait, who is this dude? Like, I had a really hard time wrapping my brain around who is this guy. And maybe that was a reliance on the, you know, a fault on the filmmaker's part. Because, again, we're, I think we're supposed to come into this movie with an under, with at least a knowledge of who Junot is. And I didn't know who he was. Outside I had no of, idea. Yeah, yeah. I, so maybe that's where part of it comes from. I think in terms of the script, they're trying to frame this problem that we're reckoning with, probably because they saw it going in. Uh, to a degree, because the beginning of the movie, you're given, you know, Fred Rogers talking about his need to forgive. I mean, it's in the very first scene, so it's not a not a spoiler. And then he kind of has a trigger with his father, with the character of Chris Cooper. So the, the outburst scenes are either dealing directly with his father or mm. something about his father. Let's just say, does that does that help us at all? Does that explain it away enough? Probably not. But I, you know, haven't seen it again. I, I know, I noticed that when he's really going off the deep end, it is it's dealing with his dad. I mean, I felt like, like again, you know, even just in the scenes with his dad, there were times where he completely overreacted. When, given the the context of the scene, an, a a functional human being would know to behave himself. So on the on the Kate rankings, you you would just it sounds like you don't buy into what he was going for as far as any kind of overt like Oscars consideration or anything like that. You you you've seen better in, from other leading men essentially. For sure. Okay. For sure. Well, because other leading men have em- embraced a character. Gotcha. Where I feel like I know who this mm-hmm. human being is that they're trying to be, and this, like I said, it felt like each scene he did pretty well, but that. For instance, you know, and again, trying, you know, trying to steer clear of spoilers, but there's a scene at a family event where he 
really goes, you know, sort of all in mm-hmm. on on reacting heavily. Yes. And then very shortly after, there's a scene in an alleyway where he sort of he's bottled up, shrugs, again. yeah, walks mm. away, and and I just didn't feel like that doesn't mesh to me. Like that's not how I would have expected. Like either one or the other. And it goes back to I mean, it's, you, you're having the same issue that we talk about all the time on this show. Whatever your expectations are when you bring those in, if they if, if the movie doesn't rise to meet your expectation, whether it's a character's reaction or a character performance or something in the script, it's going to be a, a juggling act for you to get back into the film. So I can totally understand where you're coming from. But what about uh, some of the other performances? We've talked about Hanks. We've talked about Matthew Reese. Is there anyone else in the ensemble, Kate, that kind of stuck out to you? I mean, I know Mike and I both speak highly of Susan Kalecki Watson. She played Andrea Vogel in this. We were both fans of hers. Chris Cooper playing the father. Who do you? Was there anyone, any other performance that you thought uh, kind of drew your eye? Okay, well, okay, I, I, Andrea Vogel, meaning the wife, correct? Yes, yes, no, yes. I okay. I actually hated her character so much. Oh, really? Oh, no. <laughs> because being okay, and this is a gender thing. All right, that this film was set in 1998, which is right about the, like I graduated college in 1998 and went on to grad school, and I mean I'm also in the Northeast. Right. And so it shouldn't be a geographical issue, but women with advanced degrees, women with advanced studies, you had to be hard edged. And it was really difficult. I had my first child in 2000 and it was really difficult to juggle those those things to the point where you had to build a harder edge than she showed. She was able to play the mommy, except she dropped like I'm a lawyer. It like dropped that that detail that she's a lawyer. and. I was left with like, mm-mm-mm. like it's harder than that. Mike and I are coming off of uh, Catriona Balfe's performance in Ford v Ferrari, and we're we're looking at how they handled that character and how it was like the stereotypical wife of a protagonist, uh, or, or you know, versus you know, kind of the uh, the other portrayal of that or the refreshing portrayal and how it, that movie struggled with this. I thought this character was much more balanced than that. That's what we're we're coming off of Catriona versus Susan here. So I, I, I'm, I, that's a fascinating take. I would not yeah, have thought is. of that at all. But I wonder if the character works as a touchstone for the protagonist. I mean, is that, is that just in terms of you know screenwriting? You, you, every every character needs a foil. Uh, did, did you mind how you know her role in the plot, Kate? Well, again, okay. If 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 her partner is somebody who is so unbalanced, uneven, un you know unpredictable. Right, where he's going to react one way in one scene and one way in a different scene. She's got to be harder edged. She's got to be ballsier in order to balance him. And so she almost just felt like they, it it felt like they took her dial and, and turned her down a couple of notches from what she would need to be. Let's also point out that being 20 years ago, as a biracial couple, there's extra challenges. And she mentioned it super briefly in one scene right about being on the train late at night with her baby and she yes. was afraid somebody was going to call CPS although she didn't make it clear whether it was because she was right. out late with the baby or whether it was out because of a, a biracial thing but that that now wouldn't be all of that controversial thank god but yeah. in the late 90s it would have even in New York City i think it would have gained again you just as a female, you need to be harder edged. I mean, I don't, I can't come up with a the right bitchier 
I mean, <laughs> I, that's that's what we were called then, oh, you know, no. and 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 so that I struggled with that because I wanted to identify with her role, mm-hmm. and I had a hard time with that. I think that's a fascinating. Per- I mean, it, it's certainly something. Obviously, Mike and I we, we lack, you know, being stereotypical white males here doing this on our own. We always do try to consider the other perspectives that we can't relate to personally. We but... had just finished watching Mister Rogers' Neighborhood in 1998, right? But that I mean, you're bringing up a lot of great points, and I also like that the criticism you have mm-hmm. from one character relays itself into the other like you're, you're saying this part of the struggle you had with how she was portrayed is because her reaction to the reactions that matthew reese's character wasn't given which also didn't work for you to begin with for you to begin with i should say uh that that created this complication complicated tension between the two characters uh I, yeah i i can absolutely see where you're coming from with both of those now, Kate, you're still very high on the script overall, and we've gotten some negatives out throughout the, the, the thoughts thus far. I, can, you, can you give some positives now in terms of the script? Because this movie still worked on you despite some issues, right? Well, I thought, his, I thought that the script, the way that people spoke, the words that they used, was, mm. was pretty good. Mm. Like, I mean, I adore Fred Rogers in his way of being in the world, and that's an actual psych term and I generally try to avoid jargon because it pisses me off but <laughs> but being in the world is a hyphenated like hyphens between each of those things hmm. um, is an existential humanistic is is the name like so if you've heard of cognitive behavioral therapy yes if you've heard of Freudian psychoanalysis existential humanism is another approach to therapy which Fred Rogers, I don't know that he ever publicly espoused, but that's what he appears like. Mm -hmm. That's what his character sort of does. And basically, it's a case of how do you navigate your life? What is it like for you? What are you like in the world? Right. And he embraced that Mm -hmm. throughout this movie in a very consistent way. And the words, like, I guess I felt like there might, I, I, I would have liked to see more of an arc rather than a meandering path from Reese's character. But overall, still, he's shown as being a certain way at the beginning of the movie and being a different way toward the end of the movie. And so I liked that. Like, And I liked his reluctance to respond, you know, and I liked his tendency to look at Mr. Rogers and be like, okay, but what's really going on here? So I think one of the the main reasons why I was really excited you you came on the show today is that you know Fred Rogers had he has a background in child psychology and you know this film is hopefully honoring some of that and some of the uh, the process of 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 his quote unquote ministry uh, with kids. I mean we we're going to talk about how he quote unquote ministers to Vogel, uh, but do you think this movie honors you know some of the uh, some of the better ways to 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 relate to children and to to, to raise children in this. Oh, yeah, deeply. Good. Deeply and intensely, yes. So, so that's that's a major reason. Well, that's why you know you know you have issues with some of the character structure, which is you know you, again you know you're following our. Uh, our hearts and our quote-unquote op- occupation here <laughs> as a movie critic you're right on uh the message could outweigh some of uh some of the, the scaffolding of the script or whatnot 
So this Esquire article uh, comes out, and it's available for folks to read online. Uh, a, a lot of the stuff that happens in the movie is in this sprawling article. I'm, I'm wondering, are you more curious to research Fred Rogers, uh, you know, his work after this, the documentary, that article uh, coming out of this movie? Are you going to go on a bit of a Fred Rogers deep dive going coming out of this? I want to go read the article. I'd seen the, the documentary. And, I mean, we, we were actually, like, I, I'm on a mailing list from my uh, grad school. And we were encouraged, like, go watch this <laughs> after after the documentary came out. And that's, it's, there are certain times, like, very, very, I'm trying to figure out how to word it right. Often, those of us in the mental health field and those who are in more of a religious ministry mm-hmm. are viewed as coming at things from opposite angles and almost as rivals for the best answer. You know, that people in religious roles talk about like God's will and sort of sin and guilt and shame and those sort of concepts and ideas of perfection and, and things that people who are from the mental health field all look at it and go, Mm-mm, no, 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 back off, shut up. Mm. Right. <laughs> and, you know, sometimes in more respectful ways, but not usually. And so the, the way that Fred Rogers is able to mesh the two, that's beautiful to me. He's a synthesis. He, yeah. He's able to use his own faith, follow his own faith. You see elements of prayer and, hope and a, a godliness in mm. you know and not not in the sense of him trying to play god but but trying to live a godly life mm-hmm. um and yet at the same time he says and does things that are precisely in line with best practices for mental health and for that day and that age are advanced like we more and more we accept that now is like that's how it's supposed to be um in terms of there's not a right and wrong way to feel or in terms of we're going to sit in silence with your emotions until you have your reaction instead of me pushing you for it. Like that's stuff that's pretty common now. But even in the nineties, there was a degree of this is how you should be feeling right now. And let me guide you to it. I I think what you're hitting on too is, I mean, he walked so many tightropes for so many people and is able to fill so many roles for so many people, whether it's, you know, whether it is a professional in the mental health industry, whether it is just a, a child that's having bring brought up on his programming, whether it is people, like, lay people like Mike and I, who just, you know, all our pop culture idols are just, just, just revealed to be monsters after a time. And he seems to be like the one of the pillars that's actually just a genuinely decent human being and that kind of he fills this catharsis in so many ways for so many different professions and people and that's got to be why we're all at least part of the reason why we all have kind of this draw to them and maybe in a way i mean to drop back to the to the to the performance maybe in a way we also obviously it doesn't walk the tightrope that you just described kate in this way as far as tom hanks but maybe in a way just as far as being a, a pleasing notion for us we kind of want to believe that about tom hanks as well i mean it's nice to know that mr rogers does fill this respectful tightrope in both the mending of the melding of the two worlds you know medicine versus faith that you just described there but there's there's so much involved in this performance and i think maybe because it is tom hanks as well and he's held in such a high regard too we all kind of want to believe this is all above board we all are drawn to it even more so because it checks so many boxes for so many different people 
Yeah, oh yeah. I mean, if Tom Cruise had been in it, I wouldn't have gone to see the movie. Right, yeah, <laughs> you're right. That's a great point. So I kind of had this one question, and it, it transitions nicely, that I was I was almost embarrassed to ask you, Kate, because I don't know how it's going to come across <laughs> as not being ignorant, but because of the name of your podcast, Ignorance Was Bliss, I want to give it a shot here. <laughs> it's going to sound stupid. I apologize no, in not. advance. All right. M. Night Shyamalan says that, uh, you know, there, there, there are supervillains and there are superheroes, and there's a lot uh, in, ter- in psychology, that, and, and this is just a one-on-one understanding of it, where there's a lot of categorization of deviant behavior and deviant personalities, sociopaths, psychopaths, et cetera, et cetera. Is there clinical terms or is there a clinical understanding of the opposite end of that spectrum? Does Fred Rogers, I mean, is he just deified and put up to sainthood now? But is there that totally feeling side of the spectrum where a guy or or a brain chemistry is more empathetic or, or is inclined to become more empathetic than normal? The same way that there's less feeling on the other side of the spectrum from a psychopath or a sociopath or forgive me whatever term I should use there. I mean, you could use the word empath, empathic, not empathetic. Like those are different. That's the word empathetic is one of those. It's just I'm kind of a word nerd, and it makes me a little crazy. You didn't just say it. I'm saying that (laughs) a lot of people commonly use the word empathetic when it's empathic. Which so, I guess I would say that there are people who are more empathic or more sympathetic. So the difference being that empathy is the effort to understand someone else's situation in a non-judgmental way, right? Like, I just want to not get in your head, but I want to live in your world for a little bit and try and understand what it's like and try to find little ways that my world matches in some way, like some piece of your experience that I get. And sympathetic is assuming that I already know and tilting my head to one side and going, Oh, I'm so sorry, honey. So that's not good. Um, (laughs) So, but that, I mean, the thing is though, that like most medicine, you're either healthy or you're sick in a million ways. Right. But we don't, we don't define the different ways that you can be healthy and, you know, similar in psychology, in psychiatry, you're either functional, normal, which normal is not a bad word. Like you need concepts of norms in order to understand deviance from it, but nobody feels normal. And so that's why we hate that word, but, but functional healthy versus sick in a million different ways. And we talk about all the ways you can be sick because you don't go see a therapist or a psychologist when you're feeling okay for the most part. So is, I I guess, I mean, we're going down this rabbit hole for a second, but are you, are you saying the opposite end of, the spectrum exists or are you saying that yeah yeah it exists but we don't have words for it gotcha okay we don't bother we don't define it gotcha and that's more than just being normal um yeah you can be you can be extra particularly you know more empathic i think that's so the people that are drawn into the field of of mental health mm-hmm. in whatever way are are i mean one of many but the two main ones are either people who are more empathic than usual, more able to sit with somebody else's reality mm-hmm. because that's how change happens, right? Like if your problems are easy, mine are hard. Right, 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 right. That's a really basic thing. Like it's easy to look at somebody else and be like, well, just leave the bastard right? or just eat less or whatever. But, but their life is more complicated than that. And you need to sort of get 
into their world to figure out how, what changes can you actually make. So that's that extra degree of empathy that a lot of people in mental health have. And then a lot of other people in mental health are extra screwed up. And we go into mental health trying to figure out why am I so messed up? Hmm. I'm not going to tell you which one I am. <laughs> Well, all you're, I mean, all you're doing to me right now is advocating that, that everybody uh, needs therapy, and I, I, I wholeheartedly agree. Yeah, everybody needs therapy. <laughs> uh, so, just as a means of wrapping up the, spoiler, the non-spoiler section here, I think that we all say, you know, we have our issues with this. We'll get more into them in the spoilers now, but uh, we are saying this is a watch. Yes, Kate, you would recommend people go see this movie? Absolutely. Mike? Yes. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you there. I think this is a watch. If you, especially if you just want to, like, feel good on a Saturday walking out of the theater. Uh, let's break it down in the spoiler section right now. Spoilers ahead! This is a spoiler warning. Spoilers. Spoilers. section for a beautiful day in the neighborhood brought to you by mike mike and oscar with our special guest kate from the ignorance was bliss podcast if you've seen the movie already this is where you want to be if you've not seen it yet hit pause go watch the movie you can come back and hit play with us after you've seen it already if you've seen the movie uh if you want to hear our thoughts or if we've just hyped up the spoiler section for you so much in the non-spoiler section that you cannot possibly go another minute without hearing our thoughts this is where you want to be all spoilers all the time a beautiful day in the neighborhood oscar sprint profile brought to you by mike mike and oscar featuring kate from the ignorance was bliss podcast michael let's get started talking about some themes and storylines yeah we like to begin this segment with a major storyline you know uh, discussion and i want to also continue what we were talking about in non-spoilers kate do you think this movie got the themes right especially the themes of mr rogers life and and his life's work Uh, do you come away you know thinking they nailed it or not yeah yeah as far as he what he I don't like using the word preached, but kind of, hmm. you know, as far as what he is, espoused is, you know, gender. Like, yeah, please do that. Please be more like Mr. Rogers, everybody, <laughs> like all the time. That'd be cool. I, I appreciate you, too. You're having trouble when the concept of religion keeps coming up. And I think it's an important delineation to make that even in this movie, I mean, there's where, where Fred's wife talks to Matthew Reese's character and is like, don't call him a saint. Don't deify him. Like yeah. he and it's a, it's a larger uh, commentary on mental health. She's he works hard every day at being this person and having this mindset. And he has frustrations and emotions, and he copes with them in different ways. So don't just think this is a guy that's like a one in a million was born this way. He's a human being, and yet we don't exactly see a lot of flaws with his character. I mean, there's, there's a crack in the veneer. There's though. some white knuckling. There's a crack in the veneer. It's going to be one of my best. Scenes yeah, in same a here. I I do think I do think that the documentary shied away from a lot of that. It was kind of under the surface mm-hmm. in terms of how he viewed, you know, homosexual people yep. for a while there. That was a big theme at the end of the documentary that he had to come around upon. Uh, Kate, do you think this movie gets, you know, the composited healing process right of, of someone 
who goes through what Lloyd Vogel's character goes through with a mother who who dies so young and in such a traumatic fashion uh, for her son. I mean, do you have any experience with this in, in, in your professional opinion? What do you, what do you say? Well, okay. <laughs> Loaded so question, sorry. Is, <laughs> <laughs> personal experience. Okay. So um, my father died this past April. Hmm. Um, and then my mother... He died by suicide, and my so mother blames me about for that. it. And oh, so, yeah, um, hit me in the feels right there, I think. Yeah. Um, oh. Also, when when I was 32, so at the birth of my third child, I almost died. I spent six weeks in the hospital. So, <laughs> so when the movie's... Yeah! And so when the movie's done, my, my son, who was... Jacob, who went with me, he was five at the time. Um, so he doesn't have a whole lot of clear memories of me being in the hospital, but it's part of family lore now, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, and so the lights come up and he looks at me at the end. He goes, shit, <laughs> like, oh, that is, that is clinically the correct term right there. Like, oh boy. Oh, like, Kate, just, I'm sorry. It, I didn't mean to ask that question. Yeah. For personal no, experience. it was, no, know. it's totally I, fine. I wouldn't, I wouldn't talk about it if it wasn't fine. But, but so we have some experience in this particular area yeah. and I feel like, yeah, it, it hits some, some themes head on. And I mean, in my case, you know, my mother opted to say some nasty things about my father and I don't do the forgiveness route. Like instead I've decided to separate from my mother um, well, I, she is she is still alive, but she can go straight to hell as far as I'm concerned. Like I am not mm-hmm. remotely as saintly as Fred Rogers, so there's that. But 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 yes, the the the, conf- the conflict of this is my parent, but he is flawed. Like oh, that's a big one. And then the yeah. other conflict of my my I lost a parent or almost lost a parent. Like that there's there's a lot of really heavy complicated stuff in there and a lot of people go for the sympathetic head tilt and it makes me insane well, i'm sure you know people who assume that i know they know what we're going through or people who have been through it themselves and assume that i feel the same way that they did and their head you know one ear gets heavier than the other and they tip it and they're like oh honey i'm so sorry you know like that kind of thing that when that process happens it irritates me but when instead you get somebody who says like it's okay to feel however you're feeling it's okay to struggle with this and it sucks that you're hurting that's what helps i think is you know that space and that freedom to feel however you're feeling and that validation of look grief sucks but you know you feel how you feel and let's work through that which is what is sort of espoused in this movie and i had tremendous appreciation for that you've dealt, I mean, not only from your own personal experience, but being in the profession you're in and dealing with all different types of people that I'm sure have suffered all different types of trauma. I'm just wondering, so is it because of your ability to relate with the subject or maybe through your profession, even you're seeing clients that have related to the subject that brought, that made you have a bigger, uh, I guess, um, I don't know what the word I'm here I'm looking for is, but a, a bigger issue with Matthew Reese's emotional wavelength in this movie, because you said in the non-spoiler section in his performances, you thought his reactions were a little wild and not didn't fit the weren't the right tone at least for what he his character was going through. Mm-hmm. Probably, you know, probably usually people are a little more consistent. You know, like it may not 
sometimes their their reactions may not make sense in the moment. But like if he's angry enough, we're in the spoiler section. So yes. if he's angry enough to punch his father out at his sister's wedding, right? Why would he not punch his father out when his father ambushes him outside his own door? Like that doesn't make sense. Do you know what I mean? And other other human beings don't, you know, all human, myself, all human beings don't re- react rationally necessarily to things. But usually there's a logic. And if you can abandon your own logic and rationality and step into their world, like usually it can make sense. And And I was stuck with like, he's got no witnesses now. Why isn't he pounding this guy into the ground? <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah, uh, it makes sense. Certainly. Yeah. You know, and so I got I got stuck with with little things like that. It seems to me like he should maybe have had a little bit more evident um, conflict, internal conflict with the very birth of his son, because he's looking at a little child who has two parents right now. And, and Reese knows exactly all the things that can go wrong. I would agree with you, I think. On a human level, I I just know, having been a screenwriter for a while, and how they approach these stories, there's only so much screen time to deal with totally. things. So they they pick and choose, totally. and I, whether it's right or wrong, I mean, it's probably wrong in most cases. But if you if you have to deal with you know an A story and then a B story, mm. there's time allotted yeah. to the no, formulas. Well, there, there, yeah. there totally is. But you know, all all it would take is some some moment of his wife saying why are you so distant from this kid right why won't you connect more with this kid the movie wasn't very long yeah and it was so only two hours they could have they could have given it a couple more minutes just to develop a sense yeah. of like are you a good solid unusually involved daddy for the late 90s or are you a closed off dick well, to, to be fair, know, I think I disagree with you there a little bit, to be fair. I think at the beginning of the movie, he's kind of giving his son that blank stare when he holds him. He can't do the uh, fix the car seat in the cab. And then by the end of the movie, you know, it's it's quite the arc in terms of, you know, A to Z. At the end of the movie, he's up late at night with the son at his father's house. And he's trying to, you know, the transformation there. And he's going to, you know, stay out of work. Well, the whole, movie, becomes, yeah. the whole he, movie was leading to that scene, right? right? Three generations of all men oh, see, for leading to your child. It's interesting It's interesting because I felt like the reason he couldn't get the car seat in the cab is because he was so conflicted over going to the wedding. Well, it, it works it, on It didn't both have to do yeah. with the baby. It had to do with, like, he would have struggled tying his own shoes. I'm just noticing, like, how he deals with his son earlier in the film. And, again, I just saw it fresh again last night. And so I'll I, tell you I both, that. the only thing I got out of the car scene <laughs> was that living in New York with a newborn seems like a fucking nightmare. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Having to bring right. that car seat imagine. in and out. That's, honest to God, I was like, this is hell. Yeah. This is hell. That's I would not. What do you do? How do you get groceries? Yeah. Get them one bag at a time. And, and so oh. I just, but again, like it, it's, it wasn't even so much how he interacted with the son because I have four kids. Okay. It is hard to interact with babies because they're boring. <laughs> like they just are. And so, uh, but, but more a case of, again, giving the wife's role more to say. Okay. And having her be like, could you step up here? Could you talk to him? Could you read to him? Could you something, you know, like some sort of complaint or, or just notice on her part that like, you're not real involved with our kid here, dude, something, you know? And, and like, it, it just seemed like there was, there was an opportunity there to m- more fully flesh out the arc without necessarily complicating the storyline. 
So I guess we're talking about our, our kind of worst scenes here, and uh, those are a couple. It, I, I love the production design. I happen to fall for the cutesy trick of it all. Again, I'm not, you know, a, a longtime watcher of the of the neighborhood. You mentioned that kind of the narrative device, you know, threw you off a little bit, and you, you had good reason for that in terms of, you know, uh, King Friday's kingdom. Any other worst scenes there, or do you want to elaborate on that one? No. No, I mean there were no they're like like let me be clear like I'm 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 picking apart the movie a little bit because I can but sure that's overall, good right, right, right. yeah we like do. I felt like they they handled it, 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 they put a lot into an hour forty five or whatever the the length was you know like I felt like they did a good job of both throwing some complicated things in there and at the same time not overcomplicating it so I don't want to sound like these are deal kill deal breakers right you know because you did come um, so, away emotionally moved by the movie like in the movie and that's why we try to end with our best scene so we got that coming up but well i i do want to elaborate on a point and it's something i alluded to in non-spoilers as far as that motif and that backdrop and the using king friday's mm-hmm. kingdom yeah to i didn't go like between that. New York. No. well i didn't mind i liked it at first i thought it was really cute and i thought it was a, but they kind of abandoned it halfway through it seemed to just be a convenient plot device to be the bookend the movie with and then they if you're going to have that as your back backdrop for the movie, right? So this whole movie is taking place within the, the, the specter of a Mr. Rogers episode. Shot in 4 by 3 a dynamic, you know, yeah. you, you're shooting with the old cameras on a set. So this movie is taking place within the meta Mr. Rogers episode, and I'll right? be honest, it totally worked on me. It did, until we get to those two scenes where we have this all grounded in reality. If it's not grounded in reality, it's grounded in this meta Mr. Rogers episode anyway. And then we abandon both of those and have these nightmare sequences that kind of come out of nowhere. Where yeah, he's, what the hell was that? I, I hated those scenes. It's trying to be that hero's journey fable, you know, story type. That that formula, whatever you want to call it. I mean, I, I I've get it. it a thousand times. I get it. I just think it just didn't yeah. fit what they. I mean, it you have two backdrops done. that it you're already. Better. You have two backdrops you're already trying to show this movie against, and then you just inject a third for the sake of. Having just come to Jesus a moment, a dream. It, you, you don't know it's a dream sequence right. for such a long time. There would it could have been so easily encompassed in him unloading on Mr. Rogers, agree on his wife, agree unloading on you know in some way mm-hmm. unloading on his father in some way of of saying. I'm, this is what is bothering my brain. I'm with you, Kate, 100. percent I just, I hated it the way it fit the movie. I, I just think I know that. I know the character trope, and this is a quote-unquote repressed character with outbursts. And you know, if you give it, if you give that emotional outburst there for him and throughout the that sequence, it's not you're not you can't do it later because you're gonna. You're gonna it's fire, a fair point. You know, you're gonna fire those bullets out of the gun there. You, so you gotta save those, and and you try to you know stretch the rubber band and 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 can carry through the. the yeah, again, the thematically, I get what you're. I get where it fits. Right. Tonally, I thought it was just horribly off. And yet, you have the wife playing Lady Aberdeen that I liked. I, I liked that hallucination. You liked it, okay? Again. So that that's another surprising uh, worst for you guys that I liked. Uh, I thought it was magical, funny, disturbing, shocking. All those conflicting feelings on me. I like those in a, especially in a, a mid movie sequence. 
that really throws me off kilter. You guys seem like you wanted more balance out of a, out of, out of that midpoint. Well, the whole movie was balanced. That's my only gripe is that the whole movie is one way, and if it's not one way, you've already said at the outset it's going to be this other way. So now you're introducing a third veil, which with to view this movie through. I just thought it was it got it got clunky. I just think sometimes the momentum of a movie really escalates when you can give like a puzzling scene. You see this in TV all the time. Like you need the Tony Soprano. You know, uh, a couple episodes where he's just in his dream state. Right? I hated those too. Yeah. Well, <laughs> so maybe I, it's a trope. Well, yeah. how do you like yeah. David Lynch yeah. then? You like David Lynch so much because it's all, I guess it's consistent. Big it's fan all, of LSD. It's Big all fan of LSD. It's all That's what it is. Sequence. Yeah. So, Kate, maybe you can find the balance here. Uh, how, how, so you don't like a hallucination sequence in this way? Does it not, uh, is it not authentic, you think? Well, why not, why not have it be a part of, you know, if we're doing this fake episode, mm-hmm. why not have Mr. Rogers explain it as part of this yeah. fake episode? I'm just, with you. I just know how screenwriters, you know, try to organize this stuff. You're trying to institute more questions into the plot yeah. because questions right, drive the narrative. Right, but have Mr. Rogers go talk to King yeah. Friday about his sto- his friend Lloyd's story. Yeah, but you, you guys are both, you know, giving me answers, right? You're right, Mike. You you're answers wrong. In the middle of the movie, in the middle of the movie, you're supposed to get a midpoint yeah. that introduces another fifty questions, and that, and that kind of scene is a composite way to do that. But there are questions for a bio, you know, for this kind of movie, though. To me, it seems so. like you're, you're more telling okay. the story. You're not setting it up for a sequel or whatever. Can, can we at least say? Can you at least? Mm-hmm. I mean. In your purview of this, was it at least a little on the nose, that scene with the mother from the hospital bed saying, let the anger go? Oh, fuck's sake. That messed my kid. Yeah. Oh, my God. (laughs) It's the very beginning of Guardians of the Galaxy for me, too. Yeah. Right? Like, oh, my God. Um, Again, no. no. Sorry. It didn't work for you. That's not how grief works. Exactly. Like he would have been more protective of his mother and he wouldn't have he would have felt like the message from his mother would have been protect my memory forever and tell your father to go to hell <laughs> well, he I, does punch his father you know earlier in the film no, that's to go to hell. Yeah. and then later he's got you know like I feel like that message should have come from someone other than his mother so I guess relating to this like you do Kate do you, are you mad that he reconciled with Chris Cooper's father the father character do you no, think there's it... all kinds of there's all kinds of ways to to lead to reconciliation, and yeah. that's fine if they want. You know, it, it's right. Like I've only been pissed off at my mother for six months. It's quite possible that I'll get over myself. Um, I doubt it, but it's quite <laughs> it's quite possible <laughs> that I'll get over myself, and that's fine. If that happens, then it's fine that I'm pissed off right now. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? And right. So it, it's fine that. Like, I, I would have liked him to reach this reconciliation more out of a sense of it's right to do rather than out of sense of guilt from his wife. Gotcha. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But, 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 you know, really ultimately, however people want to reconcile people define family in different ways and they prioritize family in different ways. Sure. Yeah. So like, no, I'm not, I'm not, I I did think of a scene that I don't like. Why at the very beginning, Mm -hmm. toward the very beginning, when, um, Reese's character is first visiting the set and he talks to Mr. Rogers for like four and a half minutes. And then, you know, he doesn't get his 20 minutes right. And then he goes back to watch continued filming. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Why was it so important 
for them to watch Mr. Rogers operate the puppet. Like, we kind of got the idea. So I that, love that, that scene. That goes into my best scene. <laughs> and I, well, I, I do think we're going to both hit on that that scene at the center of the movie. Again, you know, in storytelling, you do things no, 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 in threes. No, in the, not in the, not, not mm-hmm. in the hotel room or wherever it was. Yep. Yeah, no, no, no. On, on set. set. I, I agree, I love, but yeah. you, you, what you need to do is bring things up in threes. So they're bringing up the puppet in, in act one, act two, and then act three. And I think I think that's pretty important to understanding Fred Rogers' character. I and, think so, but I think it would have been enough to have, what was his name, Todd, the assistant? Right. Um, I think it would have been enough for, for Todd to sort of look at him and say, like, no, 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 no. Fred is Daniel and Daniel is Fred. And well, show Bill, it yeah, for Bill a couple that, of minutes. But to have this extended scene... Oh, I wholeheartedly. Of this guy operating a puppet, I was just like, okay, like I, I got I know, I so like emotional in that scene, Kate. I got to be honest. <laughs> There's just some. I don't know. I Were can't even. Singing? I, I can't even explain it. It's just something about how how Tom Hanks isn't even like he's just looking at the monitor. He's embodying Fred Rogers, right? Yeah. And it's just him. You can't even see the whole profile. I mean, it's or it is a profile of him because half his face is cut off by like the. I I don't know what it. I thought there was just something enamoring about. I'm glad to hear you disagree a lot because that makes me. You know, I like I like when people disagree about best scenes in film. Certainly as well because it brings perspective. Sure, but for me, it, it landed a lot. Okay. So this is fascinating. I, I never had best scenes are also mm. each other's worst scenes, yeah. but that's excellent because it happened three times thus far, which is a record on our podcast, <laughs> which is very interesting. But let's get to some best. Uh, if you're ready, Kate, I'm just going to start off quick because we hit on a few of mine. That tent scene made me laugh where he's trying to set up the tent and it's taken way what? too long. That, that apparently actually, didn't that make the, the, uh, the didn't make Mr. Rogers show. He showed that as an extra clip on Letterman one day. Oh, really? Yeah, well, it, says, yeah. it, it hit me funny. I loved it. I like that as well. I was, it was relatable, right? Yeah, it was cute. The, the fallibility of adults is really important for kids to see. I think. Yeah, it had a good message at the end of it, too. It's really funny. I get, I get you know... I get I crack up at goofball humor as Mike knows from Dynamite is my name. It's a running joke on our show here. <laughs> I laugh like an idiot. Yes, you did. Uh, but I, I, scenes like that, you know, make a movie really charm you in, in a movie, and you need those. So that, that's fun. there are a lot of little things in this that, like, again, it makes it easy to relate to. It. And I, I go back. I, the word that keeps coming up for me is cathartic. It's so every a lot of this movie is cathartic. But mm-hmm. Kate, any one scene stick out to you? Or anything kind of make your heart flutter or give you kind of the feels? He did a thing uh, twice, maybe three times, uh, Fred Rogers, mm-hmm. where Reese Vogel challenged him, mm-hmm. where, you know, said, some, you know, are you tired of people kissing your ass? Although he said it in a, in a more eloquent way. But, you know, and then at another time, he sort of called him on something or whatever. Like there were a couple of times where Lloyd's character said something negative. And each time, Mr. Rogers' reaction was, thank you for giving me that perspective. I'm grateful for you. I'm grateful for this moment. And each time I was like, mm, yes. Like, I didn't actually do that in the theater because I'm not an asshole. But, <laughs> like, but like, the, so I, you know, I used to work in a prison. And then later I worked in emergency rooms doing crisis work. So I worked with people at their lowest moments in life you know i i i also worked in a locked state psychiatric facility um people are not having good days 
Right. Right. And there were times where they would come at me, not usually physically, usually verbally, but just unloading because I'm here and I'm unloading. And the way that you cope with that, the, the way that I coped with that and kept going to work each day was by reminding myself that what I'm doing is a privilege. Because who gets to see people like this? Who gets to see that? Who gets to sit in an emergency room with somebody who has just tried to die by suicide and to talk through it and understand what this is? That's a privilege, you know, and, and, and I would make sure I had gratitude and I would make sure to say it to people about, thank you for, for talking to me. You didn't have to talk to me, you know, like I can't force words to come out of your mouth. And so your choice to let me into your life and to share this moment even though it's hard and horrible and dark and scary and hurtful thank you so that's incredible yeah that's that's amazing so one of the uh, yeah good for him to do that in the movie i was like "Mm, yes that oh good (laughs) well and thank you for sharing that i mean that's that's an incredible perspective one of the scene and you you describe it much better than ever i i ever could that central scene in the movie where he goes to uh tom hanks uh, mr rogers apartment Mm -hmm. and before he takes out the puppets you know lloyd is basically you know being snotty about his kids and your your kids must have really had a hard time having you as a father really trying to dig at him and you can see it you know tom hanks is just like swallowing a little anger there and he and he is saying you know you know thank you for 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 that you know that unique perspective and you know be and then but then he does this kind of he he's he is reaching for something to say to lloyd there and he tells him about the sign language of the the sign for friend uh, with his fingers there. And I thought that upon first watch, that was such like a a plant, right? That's just a movie being a movie. We're we're planting that. And then in the next, you know, watch of the movie, I'm I'm realizing to deal with Lloyd in that moment, he is reaching out that olive branch in that scene. Like that moment is where he's like, listen, Lloyd, I'm here to be your friend. You know, don't push me away. And he and Lloyd rejects him. The subtext of that scene is Lloyd rejecting him. Yeah. Because who makes up, you know, the, the character of Fred? Well, also Daniel and the puppets and King Friday and all these ways he ministers to people and relates to people, I guess, if you don't want to use the term ministering. So when Lloyd rejects him for the puppets and he still has to swallow some of his anger, you know, or whatever disappointment in dealing with Lloyd after that, he still offers that, you know, that olive branch of friendship, which I thought was, you know, saintly, but, it, and then it, you know, pays off in the end. That insane. whole scene, I, I echo your, what you're saying, Mike, because I think that whole scene is loaded with subtext and not, I mean, not only is Mr. Rogers trying to swallow his, and keep himself steady and reaching for something, but he's, I mean, this is the crack in the veneer. This is the well-rounded character that Tom Hanks is portraying because mm-hmm. when Lloyd touches on his sons, you can see Fred Rogers. I mean, it's written all over Tom Hanks's face and it's a great job by Hanks in portraying this. To he's, me, it's the best work of the screenplay. I and agree. The movie does, you know, it's on the fringe of best adapted screenplay it does get it it's probably there that's a showcase scene for me and it's like kate said too i mean all three of us are highlighting this scene in particular so i guess it's really worth seeing because you know fred rogers starting that scene by you know he is searching for something to say he does throw the olive branch but it starts off with him saying you know thank you for bringing your perspective to this i'm not going to judge you for that i'm not going to say that you're an asshole for trying to i know what you're trying to do you're trying to get me to crack you're trying to make me see like i'm not this holy guy that i am but 
thank you for trying. I understand it, and I'm sorry you you have this pain. We're going a little long, guys, but uh, any more best scenes? Chinese restaurant. You know, Fred uh, obviously visiting uh, Jerry and and the Vogel family at the end. What do you guys think of the ending? What do you, what were some more of your best scenes, Kate? That silence was impressive. Like I don't know if it was a full minute, mm-hmm. but the the scene in the Chinese restaurant where they go silent. Like silence is an incredibly powerful tool, both in movies mm-hmm. and in real life. You know, in 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 doing. Like if I'm doing a crisis assessment where I'm sitting with somebody in the emergency room and I want them to tell their story, sometimes it's really hard. Like think about the worst moment in your life. How do you start telling that story? Yeah. Jesus. You know what I mean? And and my job then is to sit with you and let you tell it instead of deciding. Like my the, the question I most often started with was, you know, I started with people like, spell your first and last names for me i know what it is i have your fucking chart right over there like i don't have to ask you this shit but it's because if you ask somebody questions they know the answers to it's easier to get rolling but then it reaches a point where ultimately i had the demographics down on a piece of paper and then i have to say what brings you here today and then i have to wait i have to wait and you know and some of that is because you learn a lot by the you know about the person by where they start because some people will be like and I, like I've had people say like an ambulance, I'm like fucking thanks. I know. You know? <laughs> and other people will be like, they're in their forties and they're like, well, my third grade teacher, ah. blah, blah, you know? And, and I'm like, no, 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 you know, but it's the same, like, that's, that tells me a lot about who you are and how I need to continue the rest of the conversation. And so that use of silence and the use of, if we don't know what to say or if I'm hitting too many walls with you mm-hmm. to say like, hang on, can we just, can we just sit for a <sighs> minute? I just got chills. <laughs> I feel like, I mean, literally I did. I mean, that's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's nice to hear that you, you know, not only is this a good movie and it's a, a fine movie for lay people to watch, but it's nice to hear that it, the, the relatability to people in the profession because Mr. Rogers was so seeped in the mental health profession for all intents and purposes. Mm-hmm. It, it, it translated well. Yeah. Now, that scene also featured, just as a little aside, it featured Joanne Rogers, Mr. Rogers' actual wife in that scene. It featured uh, Bill Eisner, a lot of the crew members from the documentary who were character, you know, subjects of the documentary, Won't You Be My Neighbor, are in that restaurant, really? in that scene. I didn't realize that. And, and I, that, that, that was something I, I read about and then I, I, I watched on, on, on my second viewing. I was like blown away. It made me more emotional. Sure. Knowing that fact. Uh, but, so what would you guys think of the, the ending of the movie now? Did, did it work on you? Did You know, Kate, you've been a proponent of this movie working thematically. Does it bring it home? Yeah, yeah, it did. Uh, like, I, I, I liked this, this concept of even if there's not full forgiveness, there can at least be coexistence. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think that's an, that's an important... Uh, and I think that was translated very well by the movie as well. I didn't mind the ending the only problem with the ending i had was that there's three of them and you don't need that for this type of movie like you could have ended this when fred leaves the house you could have ended it at the graveyard with the funeral 
and then you had the actual ending where he's pounding on the piano, and I get substantively and subtextually what they were going for, but I don't think this warranted those multiple Lord of the Rings three endings, false endings type thing. It really didn't need the piano scene. Like, to me, it really... I agree. So that's an overt metaphor. Also the graveyard scene, but like by then I was just like, okay... You, I'm wrecked already. Like you don't need to re-wreck and then re-re-wreck right. me. Like we're good. Now that, that's an overt metaphor for him being angry at the finale of the movie, right? I mean, when he bongs on the piano, there, yeah, bong, he's ending. He's ending right, the film with a mechanism. At? Yeah, that's what I'm wondering. Is he mad at society and where we currently are? Is that the overt metaphor of that scene? What are you guys thinking of? Because it ends with Mr. Rogers banging the yeah. piano. It didn't. It didn't make sense to me. Like I, I didn't need that. I, I, I that would have fit better in the middle somewhere. Okay. Do you it, know what I mean? Like I don't know. It could have fit, fit, or just him saying, "This is what I do when I'm angry." That's enough. I don't need to see him actually do it to under. Like I understand the concept of going bong bong on the piano. Like, cool, cool, got it. Right, and and that's supposed to be his emotional outburst, right? For him, that's I mean, that's been set that table has been set we know banging on the piano is they how he copes with it with right that. so they and they didn't really ever hint at this was going to be a meta uh message at least looking forward to society looking forward where we are right now yeah. as human beings so to have that at the end mean that mr rogers would be upset at all of us if that is the reason, which it may very well be. I mean, that makes a lot of sense if you think about it, but I, I don't feel like that was substantiated to have that be the ending because there was no commentary yeah, just, on present-day people. Felt, it felt literally jarring. Like, it ended... It, when I I don't mean to speak in metaphor, although I'm about to, <laughs> is that it, it left it on a, an off note for me. Ba-dum-bump! Yeah, no, I get you. I know, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I, like, I, <laughs> I would have loved to word that in a different way, but I can't think that fast right now. We're not dads yet. We love ourselves some dads. Yes, jokes, we do. So that was excellent. <laughs> you know. uh, no, I, I, I. So, do you think that was what it was, Mike? Yeah, I think that's what it was. I think they're ending the movie that way. I mean, that's my take on it. I, I, I don't know. I, I, don't, I mean, just having him drive away was enough of a. Look, you figure you out. I'm gonna, I'm gonna drive off into the sunset. Right. I don't know if it worked for me either. I'm just, I do think that's what that's what saying. the message was. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I don't know if it works. It makes sense, sir. I mean, yeah, I'm not gonna disagree Look, with you. My it makes biggest problem with this entire movie, I know we talked about some serious subjects today. They should have give us, given us some close-ups of the pie, Mike. Oh Jesus Christ! I mean, this this guy. is this needs to happen in every movie. If you show us food from a distance that looks delicious and they're eating it, you know, voraciously like they are, it's just absurd. It's a pet peeve of mine. I need the close-up. I come up watching The Godfather growing up. I want to see close-ups of the meatballs, Don't and the gravy. You blame The Godfather for Look, your of unhealthy obsession with food and movies yeah, it's just they didn't do that for me and that's why it's a you know a b plus for me at the end of the day to get into final grades here and not an a or an a minus uh i'm a b plus 87 mike you want to give your grade real quick and then Kate, Kate Smile, listen this I, I will this conversation and like analyzing it and doing research about mr rogers in yeah. preparation for this episode i appreciate what this movie was trying to do a lot more with those aspects. The movie itself lacked for me in a couple areas, and I kind of touched on a lot of them already, but I, I, I still enjoyed the movie, and I still think you're going to be in a good mood if you see the movie. Does it rise to the level of Academy recognition? Yeah, I expect it to do something. I don't know necessarily that it's going to break through. I mean, that supporting actor category is so loaded, uh, but those are all, you know, kind of non sequiturs anyway. I'm, I'm an 82 B-. minus. 
I, apples to apples, I think this is a better watch than Ford versus Ferrari. I think I know they're wildly different movies, but just on the case of these are our last two OSPs, I had less issue with this than I did with that, so that's where I'll land on it. Uh, 82 B- minus for me. Kate, what'd you think? What do you have if you can put a final grade on it? Don't do that to me. I don't, <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't see enough movies to have any perspective there. All right. I do not resent the whatever i don't know 50 bucks it costs to take my kid out to the movies and it 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 hit my kid in a you know like i said hit him right in the feels like you know i the lights come up and he looks at me he's like shit (laughs) (laughs) that's awesome you know when it gets a 15 year old but you know just because it is not an action-packed movie it's not even all like there were times where i was like not feeling bad because I don't do that. Like I don't have any guilt over the things that I do to my children, but (laughs) you know, that I thought like, this is not all that exciting. Like, I don't know what he would have expected. He didn't grow up with Mr. Rogers in the same way that I did because there were so many more options when he was a child. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I kind of, I kind of wondered, like, how how is this going to affect him? But he later, you know, he was, he, first of all, he's quiet on the drive home, which tells you something. But that, you know, later on, he made a point of, like, that was a really good movie. Hmm. Like, I really liked that. And so, without having gimmicks and cuteness, there was no, you know, I mean, obviously, there was some, some singing of the Mr. Rogers songs, but otherwise, like, there were no, like, big musical numbers, there were no explosions, there were no breasts. And for him to still be into it right. as a 15-year-old boy, I was like, okay, that's a pretty good movie then. Yeah, I, I think that pretty much sums it up well. And shockingly, no breasts in the Mr. Rogers movie, I would underscore. Uh, <laughs> right? Uh, yeah. Well, I did like that they uh, they nodded to, hey, weren't you a Navy sharpshooter? They ended that at yeah, the end, and they talked that off. So, Kate, uh, let us know, uh, let our fans know where they can find you on the internet. What do you got coming up? Uh, anything you want to uh, plug here? Uh, I mean, my show is called Ignorance Was Bliss. I am a former forensic psychologist and crisis clinician, and, you know, the, the point of my show is to try to just understand people, get people's stories, whatever story you, you feel like telling. And, I mean, coming up, like, I always have cool stuff coming up. Like, every time I talk to people, whether they tell me their own story or we cover a case or whatever, um, it's always fun. So, I mean, I have ridiculous, like... Last night, I talked to the cast of Rolling Misadventures, and it got weird, man. <laughs> uh, uh, so, like, sometimes it goes in that direction. And then the night before, I talked to Eric and Vicky from Ransack History, and I kind of expected it to be historical in nature. And we ended up going deep and dark into the the, the caves and caverns of PTSD. Hmm. So, like, I never know. And that's my favorite thing about my show. So I'm at IWB Podcast everywhere. I'm on, online way too much, so <laughs> hit me up. Well, we cannot thank you enough, Kay, for bringing a much-needed perspective, and, and we definitely. love doing this with you. We're going to definitely have to have you back on at some point. Uh, thank you so much for giving us a part of your day and a piece of your time, and uh, this was great. Thanks a lot. Take care. Thank you. Well, that was absolutely spectacular. We cannot thank Kate enough for being on uh, on our program with us and covering a movie that w- was a lot of fun. You know, it had its highs, had its lows, and we'll see if it's uh, something to talk about come Oscars time. But as always, ladies and gentlemen, fine listeners out there of the MMO universe, we want to hear from you. We want to hear your thoughts about this movie specifically, as well as anything else we do here in the MMO empire. You can reach out to us, Mike, Mike, and Oscar on Facebook, Mike, Mike, and Oscar on Instagram, at MM and Oscar on Twitter, Mike, Mike, and Oscar at gmail.com.com. And on Reddit, we are available everywhere you hear podcasts. 
including, and especially Apple Podcasts. So if you use an iPhone, you happen to use Apple Podcasts app or use iTunes somehow because you own a time machine. If you wouldn't mind going on the Apple Podcasts app, that purple square with the white uh, uh, Rogers sticking out of the middle of it, I guess, for all intents and purposes of this episode. I don't know why you do this. (laughs) Step on that. Type in Mike, Mike, and Oscar into the It's an overt metaphor. We just talked about overt metaphors being problematic. I'm not into my feelings, per se. I'm not emotionally stable, as they say. Uh, if you could type in Mike, Mike, and Oscar into the search, tap on our logo, you see the opportunity to scroll down and leave us five stars. If you could do that, that would mean a lot. And if you could do that for Kate's program as well, Please. it's well worth it. And it's a great list, and you should absolutely include that in your podcast rotation. Michael, what is coming next? What are some words of wisdom? It's wise to listen to Ignorance Was yes. Bliss. Uh, Kate is truly an amazing person. And yeah, she is. I have listened to bunch of those episodes recently and throughout the year because we have been chatting about doing collaborations with her for a while and we don't do a lot of collaborations and we we were hesitant to do a lot of collaborations at the start and we wanted to make uh make time for her because she's a true expert in the field she's dealt with some shit in her personal life as well i i just i I really hope she had fun today and i i know our listeners will benefit uh, from from her as a guest on our show. And please, listen to her show. It, it really runs the gamut, like she said, in terms of the kind of guests she always has. She interviews everybody from, you know, movie weirdos like Mike and I and, <laughs> and, and our friends on Invasion of the Remake to, you know, uh, survivors of, of abuse. And, and they give their stories. They tell their stories. It's so courageous. It blows me away. And it puts everything in perspective. And then you get a professional, you know, vantage point. That, that she has yeah. uh, to, to, to help them discuss. And it's like that she's holding them their hand throughout that. It, it's really amazing. And I'm, I'm in awe of her show. Like, we do a podunk Oscar podcast. <laughs> right, yeah. You know, we, you know, we gloss over some themes. I mean, I'm proud of our show, but what they're doing is, is truly an outlet for her guests and an outreach, you know, uh, for the for the rest of us. Puts life into perspective, too, certainly. So it's uh, wise. Know. In terms of what we got coming up, we're yeah. going to talk about Frozen 2, which has a, a moral center that I'm, I'm really happy for. And, you know, they could I, continue this tone of voice. Mike. At the theater, there was a billion kids, yeah. and they were all dressed up as Elsa. Like, there, there's a theme of that movie, and I just said it to myself all weekend. Yeah. And I'm just so happy for it. I feel blessed by the movie. Have you let it go? That's not the theme of the movie. What? Oh. <laughs> but they do some fun callbacks. So we're going to review that in an Oscar race checkpoint because we had, a, you know, you had the opportunity to talk to yes. Haley Griffith yes. from Satanic Panic, yes. from the upcoming Martin Eden from all over YouTube, and she's a terrific young actress. And you, you booked her and you got her on the show, and you, I can't wait to listen to your interview with Haley. Yeah, it was. I can't thank her. I don't know why people talk to us. <laughs> Do but, you, are you pester them? Uh, yeah, just constant, like 47,000. No, but well, again, for everyone, Haley, Kate, everyone who has talked to us, we have more guests coming up too. I, again, I don't know why, but we cannot be more grateful and thankful to all of them. Thank so uh, we are certainly in their debt. But yeah, the, the Haley conversation was a really interesting one. Uh, we finally get the answer of what is TikTok, which I am personally okay, very good. excited about. Uh, <laughs> I needed that answer. So I'm going to listen to this. It touches, you know, it's all about the background of Satanic Panic, her work there, her work as an actress uh we go into some youtube culture stuff so if any younger listeners are into the, the drama of youtube we touch on some of that because i'm i'm too old of a man that actually follows that stuff from time to time and it's weird and i needed an outlet and it's it's a good thing you weren't here because if you were there i'd be like what? Well, you, know, you just would have been judging 
you're just yelling at me. So this is on the computer? <laughs> so yeah, we have a lot of fun stuff coming up. But again, thank you to Kate uh, for this. This was a blast. This was fun. And I hope you guys uh, were able to gain something from it. And do go listen to Ignorance right. Was Bliss. I had one job, though. I was supposed to tell people that MMOW and Orc were finally switching. Yes, out. yeah, so we're doing that. Yeah, we're doing uh, Frozen 2 and Orc in the middle of the week. MMOW at the end of the week, we think, we hope. Yeah. We know how our scheduling goes. We're going to try and do our best. <laughs> we're not knocked out on tryptophan. Yeah, but th- again, yes, thank you, Kate, from Ignorance Was Bliss. Go start listening to that show. Yeah, guys, uh, one reality sucks. You can come watch these movies with us. We are Mark, Mike, and Oscar trying to make award season year-round. Without the stuffiness, we will see you very, very soon. See you. Listen to the wind come